Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, and I am here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. It's a sunny day, a little, little slight breeze, but a gentle one for once. Ah, it is Friday, May 31st, end of May. Mermaid is over. The merry month of May is over, for those of you who know what that is. Usually I didn't see much about that this time, but I don't follow as much of the sites that I used to. Now that Publer, Tumblr is clean, right? we got um, new cushions for these chairs on the east side of the house. You'll be happy to know, Mom. They match your table that you made. Um, David picked them out for me so that's much more comfortable yeah they they go really nicely and they look good i have not yet done my flagstone patio thing i should have done a lot of things this spring because it wasn't hot Um, maybe i will get after some of that this weekend because we really need to sand and stain the portal and i would like to do this flagstone patio but, you know, there's always things isn't there. I made better progress yesterday on Fiery Citadel. Um, meaning that I went faster, but I backed up and went back over some of the scenes that I had previously revised to see if I needed to smooth the emotional arc, which I kind of did. so and now today I'm going to today I'm yesterday I backed up like back to page 18 (laughs) never going to make it through this revision Um, today and then I made it all the way up to like 76 so in some ways it's false progress because it seemed really good I had been up to like page 55 and today I'm going to back up, I figure, to page 64. Oh, there's a little breeze coming around the corner there. Sorry if that's making noise on the mic. Um, so anyway, I'm backing up to about page 64 because it occurred to me sometime after I stopped writing where I could insert a bit of a scene that editor Jenny asked for. And when I was looking at it yesterday, I was thinking, okay, it will not fit in this chapter. But then upon uh, reflection later, I don't know if it even counts as reflection. It's just sort of like pops up, you know, you put your answer into the mental search engine. And then a little while later, it like, dings and gives you a suggestion so that's what worked there i thought okay i think i can make this work it's i think that's one of the things that i find difficult about revising is it's um once i in theory i think i can change it but then when i start looking at the scene all of the interplay is so so right the way it is that I have trouble finding places to insert. Um, yeah. I think that might be a product of the way I write just because I, I write so much 
to be true to the characters that when I try to insert plot things, that's with capital letters, then sometimes it feels awkward to me and it interferes with with the banter. <laughs> we can't interfere with the banter. Anyway, I think I've, I know what I'm going to do there. And as for the big thing, I think I have an answer. It came to me as I was washing dishes after I finished last night. I was feeling very tired and brain dead. And I sat down in my chair and I was reading The Faded Sky. Because I had finished reading The Calculating Stars, which, yeah, I really loved. I think, um, I think even... I think, Mom, I think you would really like it because there's so much about the 50s and um, what it was like to be a woman then. Uh, Mary Robinette really did a great job of capturing that and capturing the excitement of the space program. Uh, I I think that you would enjoy that book. It really is very well done. Um, And now I've gone back to The Faded Sky, which I'm still liking um, and... I have that in paper, so I'm interested to finish that. And it looks like we may get some, you guys are going to be really happy, some cat wrangling today. Jackson, cut it out. Hey, since he's trying to slip the harness here, cut it out. Hang on, I'll take you for a walk, okay? Yeah, hold on, just a minute. Back into the wind, sorry about that. It's Jackson's fault. <clears throat> So I sat down and started reading and was starting to think that I might not even have enough brain for reading. And then David needed to cook some things. And it's my job to do dishes. And I had not done dishes all day. I'd kind of done this slapdash effort the night before where I filled up the dishwasher. But being back on the keto stuff, we go through a lot of dishes and I haven't been keeping up very well. Yes, now he's all happy, rolling around in the dirt. Not David Jackson. <laughs> so I got up and did the dishes, cleaned up the whole kitchen. Which ended up being good because I started thinking about my idea. Um, I even pinged Grace. And she's still buried. <laughs> it's sounding sad. And I... Asked her, I said, what about my needs, Grace? And she said, donut, as she calls me. She says, there are the people I live with in this same house haven't seen me and don't have clean clothes to wear. So don't give me shit. I don't think she put that exactly at the end, but it was along those lines. So I was like, okay, fine. Good luck. But it's all right. I, I was thinking about who can I ask about this? Who could I talk to about this? Because I want someone who can advise me on it. But then I think I have, it came to me. I was stewing over the dishes, muttering imprecations at Grace for being a bad friend. And, and then I started seeing my way through, which was interesting because I was thinking about different people I would ask and imagining what they would say and kind of discarding their input because I said, you know, but I'm not going to want to do that. And so kind of by going through all of that, I figured out what I think needs to happen. And I saw Library Addict 
commented saying that I probably just need to go with the idea, which is always the answer whenever I am stewing over something like this, which she has clearly learned. So thank you. <clears throat> so that's, uh, that's what I think I'll do. The other thing I'm thinking about is, it's funny, this morning, I can't remember why I was thinking about it, but one of the things that has puzzled me for some time, and yes, this will be totally off topic, as if we are ever on topic here at Jeffy's First Cup of Coffee, uh, The I was thinking about why did people start hating Nickelback so much? Because for a long time... Yeah, I know. It's this is um, you know the I'm I'm a deep thinker, you guys. It was very strange because for a long time, I remember being part of that early wave where Nickelback came along, and we really loved Nickelback, and I still like Nickelback. I have Nickelback on my playlists, but somewhere along the way, it became this thing where people would make jokes about Nickelback, and they would say various things about. You know, they, they kind of became the poster child for everything that was terrible in the world. And I didn't understand it. And it was like, well, what happened? So this morning, semi-randomly, as I was running on the treadmill, I decided to run inside today to get a little bit better workout. I googled, why do people hate? And one of the top five choices was Nickelback. So it was like, I'm clearly not the only one wondering this. I also Googled, why do people hate Bono, which turned up a different set of ideas. But anyway, under the why do people hate Nickelback, there turned out this very interesting column from NPR, of all places. Uh, and it was like um, all things music considered, which I don't think I knew about. I may have to check out more, and I will put a link in the podcast uh, description there. But... It was it was very interesting because they were talking about how when something or someone becomes very, very popular, and they were citing um, someone like Gwyneth Paltrow, too, when they become very popular, that there are always a percentage of people who are the contrarians, who will define themselves by the fact that they hate this thing that everybody else really likes, which... I could see, you know, you always have that. And they said, but with some, and, and they listed several factors, like overexposure, um, you know, various levels of popularity. And it happens with these people or artists who reach a certain uh, high phase of popularity. Um, and they said that at some point they reach this tipping point where... The contrarians become, you know, who should be by definition a small percentage, otherwise you're not a contrarian, right? All of a sudden they they hit this sort of social tipping point where they then uh, are the majority, or at least the loudest voices, and that the internet has really contributed to this. And, and it becomes this, it becomes very popular to hate them. <laughs> so, and they were saying, you know, like that one of the columnists uh, rather sardonically noted that, you know, even saying the word nickelback lends itself to spitefulness. So I thought that was very interesting. 
Okay, Jackson, we're out in the wind and it's messing with the mic, I think. Sorry about that, you guys. I'm going to try to get him to go back to the house. We're not going to go down the road in the borrow ditch. Come on. Let's come back. Come on. That was a good run. Come on. Yeah, that's it. Come on. Come on. So I was thinking about that. And the reasons why Bono people hate Bono, and it was really why do the Irish hate Bono, which I thought was interesting. And they were talking about the Irish and so forth. But it has a lot to do. I mean, I knew that people didn't like Bono because of his politics. Uh, <laughs> Jackson's really fighting me here. Come on. There you go. Um, but the the answer for at least the Irish was that they actually don't hate Bono and U2 because they're still wildly popular there. But that it has to do with certain kinds of Irishness of hating anyone who gets above themselves. So I thought that that was really interesting food for thought. <clears throat> the other thing that came up in the Sefwa Slack, where somebody was complaining that Sefwa focuses on minor issues and ignores the big ones, and Laura Perlman, who is very smart, said that this wasn't unique to Sefwa and posted a link to the term bike shedding, which I hadn't heard before. And I know this sounds tangential, but I don't think it is. It turns out that bike shedding was coined uh, as a way of explaining how, like a committee that's been tasked to approve plans for a nuclear power plant became can become utterly distracted by determining the materials for the employee bike shed. And that's because the employee bike shed question is easy to solve and people will universally approve, which is not true of trying to approve plans for a nuclear power plant, right? So I really love this term, bike shedding, because I've always liked rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic, but that's not useful when it's a project that you're trying to save. As soon as you say, you know, we're, we're sitting here, and I think we've all been there, where you're in a committee and you're discussing tweaking and tweaking and tweaking, and somebody says, you know, we're rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic here. You know, you're, you're fiddling with something that's doomed. And so that's not always useful if it's something that you're trying to save. Uh, but bike shedding, yeah, it's like, okay, you know, we're focusing on minutiae of something that is tangential to what matters. And I feel like this has something to do with the whole people just sort of the social zeitgeist tipping over and deciding to hate something that was once very popular. And I guess part of where I'm digging into all of this mentally is the idea that I'm just very interested in why people love things and then why do they decide to hate things. Why do certain books or movies become insanely popular and then fade away? Which Why do some last and others not? Because I've been around artists. I, I remember this one guy way back um, when I lived in Laramie uh, and he was a professor and he 
sort of tossed off this thing as an absolute truth that really struck me because I thought, and I've thought about it ever since because I'm always going back to it thinking, I don't think this is true, where he said that it's important not to put popular references in your books, not to put any references to popular culture in your books because it, not because it dates them, although I think that was part of his thinking, but because it it confines them. Ah! Or it, sorry, I was trying to get back up in the chair without the cushion kind of curls up a little. <laughs> and I nearly tipped over. You could have been witness to a spectacular accident. Well, it would have been an interesting, <laughs> non-spectacular accident if there is such a thing. So, <clears throat> now I lost my train of thought which was a tenuous train of thought anyway. This is sort of why I'm at the phase of pulling ideas together. Um, something being very popular and tipping over. Hmm. I might have lost what I was just about to say. But it's, it's a fascinating thing. And, and I'm feeling like this. I feel, I'm feeling like these things are interconnected the bike shedding of setting something focusing on the minutia maybe that's part of it is this you know something that was once loved and deciding to hate it or not stand oh that's right i was talking about the the whole thing about including popular culture references yeah that he felt like somehow if you put popular culture references into a piece of writing then that made it automatically not art. And and that was all pursuant to the whole idea that, you know, people are always trying to define art and trying to define what's good. Um, in the, the CEFWA meetings, the CEFWA board meetings, we were talking about things that were our values as own organization and as a board. And we were putting out very, you know, all sorts of different things of what we all feel like are the values of Safwa. And one person said artistic ex excellence. And we all kind of paused and somebody else said that they weren't comfortable including that because not that we don't agree that artistic excellence is important, but that there's so much disagreement on what artistic excellence is because there are always people who will like try to draw the line at uh, if it makes money, therefore it cannot be artistic because art shouldn't make money. <laughs> I don't know. Um, well, that's the whole idea of selling out, right? Um, you know, art should only offend and upset um, if it is, if it has romance in it, it's automatically not art. Um, if it's popular, if masses of people love it, it's not art. Twilight isn't art because um, it's l beloved by preteens. And I won't even say preteen girls because I know a lot of preteen boys who loved it. So, you know, in this whole struggle to define what's going to be good, what's going to be lasting, you know, it ends up, I don't know, I feel like it's a kind of bike shedding. I'm still working on this idea, obviously. You know, maybe we're 
turning away from, uh, you know, dealing with the nuclear power plant, which I'm not sure what it is in this analogy. Um, I don't know. Something to think about. If you have thoughts, tell me. I would I would like to extend that conversation. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I think that's, uh, I could say more. That's, that's why I'm pausing and hemming and hawing, because I've talked for 20 minutes, and I should go get to work. So, I have a uh, hair appointment at noon today, a critical, important errand. Actually, it is now because it's summer, and my stylist has all of these ladies who are here only in the summer, and they book him wall to wall. <laughs> it's like in the winter, I can like change my appointment anytime. In the summer, it's like, no, if I miss now, then I don't get to get in until, you know, two months from now when my next appointment is. And when one colors one's hair, as one does, um, that's just not really an option because then one starts to look like a stripey, stripey pony and not in a good way. So that's my life. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Um, let me know what you think, if what you see about the bike shedding and the, I don't know, we need a good term for the, the hate flip, right? I will talk to you all on Monday. Take care. Bye-bye.